Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I'm your host. And today on the show, Michelle Borba. Uh, Dr. Michelle Borba is uh, a Today Show contributor, uh, a contributor to the Dr. Phil Show, uh, has worked to train Navy SEALs. Basically, anything you can think of that an educational psychologist would have done uh, during their career Dr. Borba has done that, uh, and then some. She's the author of a brand new book called Thrivers, which is about building resilience into kids, uh, and I won't steal her thunder now by sharing more about it. I'll let you hear from her on it, but you should pause the episode right now to go buy uh, her book, called Thrivers, uh, before we even start. Um, it's fantastic. You will, you will love it. So uh, Dr. Borba talks about uh, how to build resilience into kids and that resilient kids are uh, not born, but they're built. And that is hopeful, great, great news for all of us who are parenting um, in 2021. And so uh, she's got some incredible wisdom on um, how to help your kids process through the pandemic, how to help begin to build back uh, from that talking about everything from self-care to, uh, again, how uh, she learned about resilience from the Navy SEALs. And uh, it it is a fantastic episode, fantastic interview. You're going to love her. And so uh, without any further ado, here she is, Dr. Michelle Borba. Well, all right, we're here with Dr. Michelle Borba. She's an educational psychologist, best-selling author, Today Show contributor, uh, contributor to Dr. Phil, has spoken to millions of participants, five different continents. Uh, And Michelle, if we finish reading the bio, we're not going to have time for the rest of the show today. But thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, you are so welcome. I am so aligned with what you do. I am in awe of you. So thank you. Well, thanks so much. She's got a new book called Thrivers that is all about teaching kids resilience. Uh, That has been something we've touched on recently, Michelle, in our shows, but haven't done a deep dive in it. We felt like it was time uh, for that. And so uh, why why don't we kind of start with giving some context for those who are not familiar with your work and your background. Do you mind just giving us a a rundown of your work and your um, career so far? Thank you for that. Yeah, it's been a lifelong journey, and every year I go a different path. So it started <laughs> way back when as a special education teacher. My my passion was always kids with uh, severe emotional learning, uh, physical disabilities. And then I started went from there for foster care training in the state of California. Uh, went from there to trauma and ACEs, but uh, and then taught gifted and talented. And I discovered kids, no matter where they are, have the exact same needs. Yeah. I began to write a series of books. Uh, that we're all dealing with parenting and and research about it. But the most amazing thing is that a segue till uh, those books of being invited to speak all over the world. And it's been, that was life-changing because I spoke on a lot of areas from working with kids from genocide in Rwanda, a war-torn area, kids just came through, a Karabakh and the, the recent war there, uh, working on the killing fields with kids from Cambodia. Wow. And it just changed me. Uh, And then finally, along the way, what happened is I started talking to kids. The counselor said, there's something going on with children in the United States. There's something different. One in five of them has some kind of a mental health disorder. I started interviewing over 100 of them. Very loved children with GPAs that were in the ozone layer, but they all said they were running on empty. And that's when I realized, Mm -hmm. hey, we got to tune up this thing called resilience. I started looking yeah. at the research on it and said, thrivers are made, not born, but we just don't yeah. have the science of simple ways we can make a difference on our kids' lives, no matter what the issue is. Oh, 
Yeah. I love, I mean, we could jump right in. One of the things that I love so much is that thing that you say that our thrivers are made, not born. Because for me, just immediately as a parent, my the first emotion that rises up in me is hope. Oh, you have just given me hope that there is something we can do in our family right now to cultivate resiliency. So, you know, I, I love that idea that we get to move forward together and grow. So I'd love for you just to give us an overview of how do you define resiliency? What do you think well, resiliency is? And maybe I'm frame that up. It, I'm going to make it real easy. Drivers are kids with a, we got this kind of an attitude. They're kids that when they face adversity, they don't quit. They don't give up. And it's usually because now what the science says, they've got three things going. Now they don't have to have all three. But number one, you already addressed, they got a caring champion adult who refuses to give up on the kid. That's the base of it. And boy, do our children need that. I don't care what your zip code is. You got to be there to say, I'm here for you. The second thing is that they've learned protective factors. That's the fascinating thing. When I was writing drivers, there's ordinary things that can make extraordinary differences on our children's lives. We're just going to teach kids a few things along the way. And the third thing is someplace they got a haven, a place where they can breathe. It could be your house. It could be the school. It could be the church. It could be the park. But they can go there and breathe. The most amazing place I've ever visited in my whole life was a, a, oh, gosh, let me get Kleenex, a refugee (laughs) camp in Beirut. I mean, I was there with the UN and I thought, oh my God, this place is just horrible because I, there was electric wires hanging down that they kept saying, don't touch it, don't touch it, you'll get electrocuted, you know, bullet holes all over. And I said, there's no place for a child. How did they breathe? They said, walk up those stairs, Dr. Barbara, just turn and walk up those stairs. You'll need your cell phone flashlight because you can't see, but walk up the stairs. Watch out for the rabid dogs and the drug dealers on the other side. So I'm like, oh my gosh. I walk up to the stairs. Uh, They said, go through the door. I walked through the door and I went, oh my gosh, it was a chess club. One man had created this chess club for kids walking in from school, plastic chess sets that were, I mean, I'm sitting there watching the kids on the other side of the doorframe who look so stressed. And then they walked through the doorframe and I saw them breathe. Their whole face changed. And I said, what do you like about this place? He goes, Oh, you can breathe in this place. They really like you here. You can come here and you can feel safe. One kid says, yeah. And I also realized I learned how to play chess. I'm really good at numbers. And I went, there you go. One man who figured it out and there you, that's it. That's what a thriver place is. And if he can do it, we can all do it. Absolutely. So let, let's kind of break those down if we can. That first play, first thing that you talked about with, with having a caring champion parent, are there factors that you feel like, um, you know, parents can be paying attention to now to help convey that message, to, to bring that felt safety to their kids? Yeah, be calm. Because your stress mirrors down to your children. Uh, it doesn't make any difference what you do, who you are, and where you live. You got to be calm because our children are picking up our stress. The best story I ever heard on that one was an 85-year-old journalist. When I was writing Thrivers, I was just going all over to find anybody on what are they doing. And she was telling me that she was uh, living through World War II in London. Okay, have a moment of silence for her. Every night there was a blitz, there was air raid sirens going off, bombings. She heard the planes go off. And I said, how did you live through that? 
And she, I saw her just stumped and she said, why? I said, well, you just lived through a war. And she goes, you know, I don't remember the war. I said, what do you remember? I remember the sirens going and immediately my grandparents would pull the black shades, blackout curtains, and then we'd start singing and playing Ring Around the Rosie. That's all I remembered. Oh, oh my gosh. There Man. you go. It's just calm, cool. So maybe the first thing is, uh, what are your kids remembering about this last year? Yeah. Because whatever's going on out there, I know it's been dismal. But when they walk through that yeah. door jam into your home, are you creating yeah. a calm place for them to breathe? That's what every kid, and that's what we need in order to mm. just have the base of thriving. Oh, that's so good. We talk a good bit here at, at ETC about that idea of co-regulation. Like, what does it mean to, as parents and caregivers, like really figure out how to be present in our own bodies and in our own hearts and minds so that we can walk alongside our kids and provide that calm to them. So I love that. It's easier said than done for us parents, oh, isn't it? I mean, listen, it takes so much intentionality. Hardest yeah. job in the entire world is parenting yeah. 101. And yeah. don't go trying to measure yourself during the person next door because you don't know what's going mm-hmm. on in their home. Right. It's all about what you're doing and what you're creating for your children. And, you know, the best thing is the book Thrivers has dozens of simple mm-hmm. science-backed practical ideas that will help our kids thrive. But here's the bottom line to it all. Choose any of it. But your kid's going to learn any new habit best if you learn it first and then you teach it to your child. Because how do you learn a habit? By seeing somebody else doing it. And these are the same things we need how to do that deep, slow breath, how to learn stress signs. Before you were trying to teach your child, just flip through it and go, that's what I need. And then my child would learn it from me. All right. So... When you talk about uh, the seven different factors that create thrivers in a home, do you want to walk us through those and, and we can kind of talk through them? Oh, or sure. Yeah, this has been the age-long question of once I knew that thriving thrivers are made, not born, that we can help any kid be more resilient and they certainly need that safe haven of us, then the next thing is, okay, if they're made, not born, what factors do resilient children have? Oh my gosh, this was mind boggling. So I I have to give you the little evidence behind it. Yeah, it is. There are phenomenal scientific studies that I don't think any of us have in our parenting books that are the most amazing psychologists who have been trying to figure out exactly what we're talking about here. What raises a resilient kid? So we're talking about Emmy Werner, who looked at uh, children growing up on the island of Kauai who were facing extraordinary adversity, poverty, homelessness. We're talking about Norm Garmisi, who looked at kids who had parents who were schizophrenic. Do they have a chance? Or Michael Rudder, who was looking at the Isle of Wight, who said, how about kids who were growing up in extreme poverty? What they did is they got cohorts of children. Anne Manston, who did um, war-torn areas, when she studied the same groups of kids for not just one year or one month, Emmy Werner's study has been going on for 40 years. And mm. what she found halfway through it was, oh, my gosh, there are some kids who do make it. How could this be? She was floored. She said a third of them, even as teens, are become caring, confident, and fine. What has it? What happened was they all began to find commonalities of those children. None of it was DNA. It wasn't the zip code. It wasn't temperament. It wasn't birth order. It was 
simple things that we mean taught to the kids somehow along the way. And if it wasn't the parent, by the way, the second most highly correlated person was the teacher yeah, or yeah. the youth yeah. minister. But yeah. they found this is when I got post-it notes out. I began to look at all of these <laughs> studies with, you know, I, I, seriously, I had files and files and files. Okay, so what are the most common teachable strengths? Put all the post-it notes out and came up with seven. The same seven, when we're going to go through them real quick, just so you know, the same seven are the most highly correlated to not only resilience, but helping kids with mental health, the ACEs stuff, as well as um, becoming a kid whose well-being is stuff, happy. You want a happier kid? These are the same seven and peak performance in a classroom. Confidence is first. The kid really knows who they are. They can identify their own strengths, not what mommy wants me to be, but who I am as a person. They have this strong self-understanding. So we go with the strength of the child. We can talk about that. Let's just look it over. But someplace along the line, that's just seemed to be core. Another one is empathy. These kids, um, says Emmy Werner, have social competence. They are not the most popular kids, and they don't need 50,000 friends. But they have an ability to resonate with somebody so they can reach out and find help if they need it. Or they can just connect with others. And we know that one from a year of uh, physical distancing. Absolutely. Everybody's mental health tank because we didn't have connection. Empathy is key. Drivers think we, not me. Then the third one is self-control. There's a no-brainer. They can put the brake on their impulses so they can think straight. And if they can't do that, their stress just does, oh gosh, just ruins their mental health and their focusing ability. We can teach that. We can teach them how. Fourth is, I love this, was integrity. It's the parent values inside the kid's home. So when push comes to shove and the kid faces a mental problem, he doesn't have to waver and waver. He goes, I got this because I know what I stand for. And it's been embedded in me for quite a while so he can stand up for himself. Then comes, I love this one, curiosity. An openness to life. They're not dumbfounded by, oh my gosh, I got a problem. They're not rescued and helicoptered, by the way. These kids are problem solvers. They're creative thinkers. It doesn't mean they're Picassos and Albert Einsteins. It just means they're curious about life and realize there's no problem so great that can't be solved in some place inside my head. Finally, they got perseverance. They got the grit to keep on going, but they don't start with that one. Uh, They know that they can do it because there's a multiplier effect. I'll just hit him. Drivers have at least two or three of these. Any three are going to multiply the outcome. Any two are going to multiply the outcome. And then finally, they have what you just said, hope. They've got optimism. They've got this, I got this, but they also see, not like Pollyannas, but they find a silver lining. So they realize the world isn't all dismal. There's hope. I can find it and I can keep going. And every one of those is made up of three teachable skills. Uh, every one of your those qualities is made up of three teachable skills. And yep. you lay that out in the book. Yeah, everything is laid out in the back. And I'm trying to get the other thing is there's also a teacher's discussion guide. Let's get oh, this into the hands of teachers so that we parents are talking the same talk as as um as teachers. I think that's the key, is it's all teachable. The other thing is, is it too late? Now it's not too late. I don't care what age your kid is. It's not right. too late for us either. We can still become more resilient. It's also not too early. 
because attachment starts from, you know, I'll give you an hour after birth, then start holding <laughs> your feet and loving them because it's all looking at your child from whatever age you, you uh, acquire that wonderful human being of yours. You're going to start attaching and creating that seeds of love for your child. And then you keep on weaving through and figuring out what your child's strengths are and start the process of helping them become resilient. Now, it stands to reason, Michelle. So some parents are going to be hearing this and going, okay, well, I mean, look, our kids are going to different situation. They're coming from some trauma and loss in their background. I don't see these things happening here. What what do you say to parents who are kind of starting off and and maybe even taking self-inventory and realizing, God, I might not have a lot of these myself. Well, first of all, you you pat yourself on the back (laughs) because you've admitted it. It's a rare parent. Sometimes we forget that, hey, we need to work on this ourselves. It's a journey that we need to keep building ourselves up. So the first thing is, If you want to raise a thriving kid, you got to be intentional about doing it. You just got to add it to your parenting agenda. And the first thing is make it easy. Don't try to do the whole thing or your kid will never let you read another book as long as you live. (laughs) Find a couple of simple little things and go, what's going to work for my family, Mm -hmm. with my child, for what my kid has endured? And go, where am I going to start? Maybe you start with empathizing with your kid. What's he been through? Get into his shoes. Don't have them get into your shoes. And what you've got is a kid who's just going to say they love me here for who I am. Yeah. And that's what you really want. Oh, yes. Okay. I've got to ask you about this. So one of the interviews that that I uh, read of yours, you mentioned working and some of this content de- being developed from your work with the Navy SEALs. And so uh, we talk about two different segments of people, right? kids who are experiencing yeah. the pandemic this year and Navy SEALs. And yet you're saying they're, they're encompassing a lot of the same things. Would you mind telling us about your work with them and what you yeah. learned from it? This was just like, whoa, moment of moments. I was invited by the Pentagon to train ASACS counselors with trauma, children in trauma, on 18 army bases. Now that's the most interesting thing you could possibly do in your whole life. And while I'm sitting there being the trainer, I'm going, whoa, the commander said, you should go talk to the Navy SEALs because we're retraining them. Now, here's the most elite forces we have in the world who obviously have are facing some pretty tough Mm -hmm. adversity. Yes. But while I'm talking to them, they said, hey, there's a few things that we're doing that you can teach kids that are rewiring our brains and helping to prepare us from some really tough stuff. It's simple stuff. I said, okay, what are you guys doing? He said, well, the first thing we do, um, obviously, they keep telling us, you got this, you got this, is we identify our stress signs. And (laughs) we don't just identify them in in ourselves. We help each other figure out what they are. Because how the heck are you going to take these deep, slow breaths and doing this mindful stuff? Because in way... If you wait until the meltdown or the kid in the exorcism, it's a little late. So what you do is you start identifying your own signs and it will take you, they promised me, quite a while. But some of us, it may be our hands are in a fist or some of us, we can see our heart moving or we're grinding our teeth. Fascinating. You usually do the same thing. You're not stressed 24-7, but where are you the most stressed? First, Mm -hmm. figure out your triggers. And second of all, figure out what your body warning signs are. That's a great thing to tell a kid. In fact, you can also tell them, put up the word anger. Everybody gets anger, but watch what I'm going to do with the word. I'm going to put a big D in front of it. If you don't figure out how to control that anger, there's the danger signs, but you just need to warn yourselves. It's coming, it's coming, Mm -hmm. and you can control it. So the first thing is they identify their 
their warning signs. Then he said, after we know our signs and we feel it coming, we got split seconds, we do a couple of real simple things. First, we come up with a, a line that we can say inside our head. I looked at him and said, I know that sounds touchy-feely, but it really works. Like, I got this, or we'll get through it, or stay calm, or not all of them, but just one line. And we keep repeating it over and over and over again. Then we do the simplest thing that you should teach every kid. As soon as you can, when you're still calm, you take a slow, deep one-two breath. You take it real deep from your abdomen, like you're riding up an elevator. I'm so calm, it's amazing from taking that breath, but I ride it up to my head. It's the fastest, I can't, I, I'm so <laughs> relaxed because I got a deep breath into my head. Now you slowly let it out, slowly. Mm but it'll take you years to keep practicing and focusing on the breath because you keep yeah. thinking of other things. We work and work and work on it. Your exhale is twice as long as your inhale. Now, for little guys, they hyperventilate. They breathe too fast. So what you do yeah. is you put a feather on the top of the table and say, no, 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 breathe the feather. Don't let the feather jump. Slow feather breathing or a pinwheel. Or for little kids, let's blow those worries away. But if you blow real slow and deep, your worry gets real, real big and goes way far away. You just keep practicing it, practicing it, and practicing it. That's what Navy SEALs do. By the way, they also chunk their worry. That's what we mean. They said, well, our goal is to get through the whole battle, but that's pretty intimidating. So we say to ourselves, get through the first minute, then the next minute, then the next minute. We can tell that to the kids right now. They're scared to death of this virus. Yeah. So let's yeah. open up the window. Looks like you're okay. Tomorrow, let's open up the door. Next day, let's put your foot out the door. You chunk your fear into littler parts. You never throw your kid in the deep end of the pool if they're scared of water. That's right. You put your toe yeah. in, then you put your heel in. But mm -hmm. now the fascinating thing is, you see, that's scientific-based by the yep. most elite forces in the world. And they said they practice and they practice and they practice, and mm -hmm. we're becoming more resilient as a result of it. Oh, we can do the that. same thing with our kids. Just practice, practice, practice until you can do it without mommy or dad. I love it. It's so good. So, uh, Michelle, if, we feel, if we're thinking about the, the last two you mentioned, the perseverance and the hope, um, the optimism, you know, I wrote down kind of, I got this and thinking about the Navy SEAL piece. Um, if we're thinking forward now, we, we start to have a little glimmer of hope now that like, okay, vaccines are getting out and there's talk of things coming back to normal on the horizon, at least. Um, any, any advice to us or, or to parents in general as they're starting to kind of prepare their kids for this next wave um, and yeah. that they can start taking what they've learned, which is going to be pretty tough, and kind of archiving it, so to speak, in a healthy way? Yeah, start at the beginning. I am now convinced that confidence is the beginning of it. Well, the beginning of it is the safe haven of a trusting, safe place in your home with that wonderful protective champion who's calm and cool. But it starts, I'm now convinced, with that feeling of who I am and accepting who I am. And this is a wonderful time. Emmy Warner, here's a hint. Emmy Warner, in her research, discovered one of the simplest, ordinary, everyday things that resilient kids have are hobbies hobbies i don't care what the hobby is it could be woodworking or it could be knitting and great aunt sally can get on the zoom and teach your kid but it's something that gives them passion and joy not necessarily what you love but when they feel themselves stressed they go to that hobby 
they go to that interest. And I asked so many kids when I was writing drivers, what's your hobby? And they looked at me absolutely dumbfounded. Who's got time for a hobby? Because it's all things that I'm supposed to be doing to get me into that college. Find what gives your kid joy. It could be uh, that maybe what you could do right this week is start introducing family hobbies as a hobby and watch your kid to see what gives him the, wow, that looks cool, mom. That looks, makes me look eager. Maybe it's art supplies one time, or maybe it's, um, it, it, it could be basketball and it could be woodworking outside. Introduce different things to the point where you see what your kid starts to gravitate toward. You'll discover, first of all, that first chapter on, on confidence. And in fact, I'll give you a, um, a downloadable that you can give out to parents of how to identify oh, your kid's strengths. So that it'll not what you want, but what your child wants. Yeah. And it, it may be wonderful. The first week is go around with an index card and watch your kid a little closer. Without your kid knowing you're watching them. <laughs> but you're trying to figure out what makes your kid excited. The kind of thing when the kid goes, Mom, I can't stop. I can't go for the chocolate cake right now. You finish this? Oh, my gosh, there's your clue. Maybe it's music. And when I ask some kids, you know, what is it? And one kid would say, oh, my gosh. It's Agatha Christie books. And I looked at her, she's 14. I said, Agatha Christie books? How the heck did you get into Agatha Christie books? She said, well, I like to read when we ran out of books and my mom just left a bunch around. I picked them up. Wow, they're really good. Another kid told me it was music. But what she did is she downloaded certain kinds of beats. I, I said, what do you mean? She says, I finally got credit. She says, you know, your generation is better because you got less beats than ours and it helps us relax. So she said, I download Mozart. And when I really get edgy, I just love to get into Mozart. I said, what do you do, honey, when you find you, you do something really good and you find joy? She goes, oh. It's Elton John. I'm still standing. I crack it up and I start pacing around the house. And I go, oh, God, how glorious. Oh, that's so but great. She identified what made her that joy. Yeah. Watch for what gives your kid a little more tenacity. Where's the eagerness in your child? Their voice is a little more, more mm. oh, I can't wait. That actually gives them happiness in that flow state. And that's the base of confidence. Also, don't praise your kid too quick. One of the best stories I've ever heard, I remember when I was training foster parents and she had a child, her Jennifer was the child's name, but this kid, oh my gosh, the abuse that this child went through. I mean, you know, locked in the closet in a sec. Oh, I, but we don't even want to get into it. Absolute horror. She said, I, I went to the judge and I asked the, ju the judge if I could have custody of this kid for a little bit. And the judge actually warned me, you'll never, ever be able to help this child. He whispered it to me. This kid has just suffered too much. He says, I had to have hope in myself that I could. So I remember what you said, Dr. Borba, that it starts with confidence. So I put her in the car. And I remember I'm driving home and I started to praise her for, I hear you're really good at art. She said, she went ballistic. Absolutely ballistic. I thought she was going to tear herself out of the car. She was vibrating so fast that I had to pull the car over to the side of the road. And then I went, you started too high, Michelle. Michelle said, start with trust. And that's when I calmly mm -hmm. said, Jennifer, when you get home, there will be a lock on your door. Nobody but you and me can get into that room. You are safe here, Jennifer. I promise you, you will be safe. And all of a sudden, she stopped vibrating. All of a sudden, mm -hmm. she was calm for a minute. 
she started to believe me. And then I had to make sure I followed through on my promise. Talk about creating a thriver. She said, slowly, this woman said, I slowly started helping your beast. Then I introduced the art. Then I introduced the, the strength building. You know, I have to tell you, she told me, I, I took her back to the judge six months later. The judge couldn't believe the child. She, he couldn't believe the change in the child. He ordered everybody in the whole court to stand up and give us a standing ovation. He says, I've never seen such change in her wow. child. And he said, but it all started with trust. <sighs> and doesn't it always, it, doesn't it always start there? Yeah. It does. It always starts there. I, I would love if you wouldn't mind maybe just talking with us a little bit about maybe how it looks different for different people to thrive. You know, oh, that sure. I think sometimes when we use that word thrive or even when we think about I think it can set our expectations up, you know, in a way that maybe isn't actually supporting our kid where they are. So like, can you kind of give us some advice or thoughts about how to just celebrate our children as they thrive their way? Oh, their way. I did it my way. It's Frank Sinatra in the background. Here you go. Number two, (laughs) you think of a rubber band, your whole goal in parenting, and you use it with each child. And that is to take a visual inside your head of what's this kid capable of doing right this minute? What's he capable of doing right this minute? And now my goal as the mom is to gently stretch him, gently stretch him just a little bit more than where he's at without snapping him. You snap him means you've hit that expectation too high. And what happens is it backfires and there goes his spirit. And the last thing you want to do is snap a child's spirit. It's gently, gently stretch. So that means what you're doing is that thriving potential to a child is going to be gently, gently stretching from where he was before. And that means the moment he comes in, maybe the next thing is the moment he comes in and he's upset, you sit him down. And the first thing is, well, thank you for telling me you're upset. Let's figure out one little thing you can do differently next time. And you start brainstorming because we have discovered one little thing about thrivers is they have agency. They don't always wait for us to come to them. Instead, what we do is we plant it in them that instead of saying, you know, I got this with you. No, you got this, honey. You give them the skills like you got this. And maybe you help him learn brainstorming. You help him learn there's no problem so great that can't be solved. It's inside your head. So let's try one little thing. There's your rubber band. Let's try one little thing differently until maybe several months down the road, you take out a problem pocket problem solver, which is your hand and thumbkin is name the problem and then name middle, you know, one, two, three, three fingers <laughs> up, three other things you could have done differently. And then for all those problems, what's the one little thing inside your head you're going to do differently next time? That's ring man. Go for it, sweetie pie. You got it. It's slow, slow, slow. And that's what we're aiming for. You know, new behaviors take a minimum of 21 days, but for some kids, it could take three years. For some kids, it could take, you know, 25 years. We got to get into the shoes of where our kids are and gently stretch them and don't compare them to the other kid. Don't compare them to the kid next door. It's my kid and where he was and where he's gently going to go down the way and then celebrate and celebrate. We do talk a lot about celebrating the small victories. That's the small growth point. So that I I think for me, at least as a parent, I could say it keeps me um, energized. If I can just sort of be present and see growth, incremental growth, you know, it's important to have goals set out there of where we want to go, but yeah. to celebrate incrementally, I think is, is like my lifeline. 
I think that's it. And I think if you just keep remembering a rubber band, gentle stretch, gentle stretch, because the right expectations, we always know, it's kind of like a ladder of success, is the next rung up. But too often what we do is we try to make the kid jump to go up to the very top and we've, we've skipped all these rungs. So what happens is the kid is more likely to fail and feels like a failure. Yeah. But instead what we do is gently help him keep on going and celebrate, hey, here's the other thing we do that's perseverance, but we do know one of the highest correlations of a kid who strives with that perseverance level is he has a growth mindset. He realizes that, hey, it's not the grade, it's not the test score, it's that the more I practice and practice and practice, the better I'll get. A little simple on that one is, is um, I had a piano teacher who I hated, and I'm going to admit it, his name <laughs> was Mr. White. And I hated Mr. White, not piano, because his expectations were that rubber band that was so huge, and what he did yeah. was always focus on the mistake. So what he'd do is that he'd make me do the whole, whole piece if it's Mozart. But if I made one mistake, it could be one bar from the end, I had to start all over again. What happened was I hated piano so much because I was so stressed thinking mm-hmm. I was going to make the mistake. And that's what would happen. I'd blow it because yeah. I was so stressed. Well, bless Mrs. Thompson. That was my next teacher. And she had a whole different philosophy. She'd say, Michelle, let's find your one little stumbler. Let's find that one little thing that's bothering you. And she, and it was always that one little thing. She said, now let's just practice, practice that one little stumbler. You can do it. Let's practice, practice, practice. Because the harder you practice, the more you practice, you're going to get better and better. That's the growth mindset. It isn't yep. fixed that I have to be musically inclined and be like, you know, uh, Mozart. No, right. just practice and practice and practice. Now go, Michelle, you got it. Oh my gosh, now I love piano and I love Mrs. Thompson. And we do the same thing. Our kids are just so... They're so stumbled right now with, oh, my gosh, mom, I can't do this math. No, sweetheart, you can't do that problem in the math. So let's remember the Navy SEALs. Let's fold it. Let's fold it. So let's just do the first row. Oh, you got it. Now let's do the next row. Or let's do the first problem and then the next problem. You got it. Now keep going. When a child realizes they can do it, what happens is their whole mindset changes. And now we've jumped from confidence to perseverance. And that's fine because there's no order to these. Along right. the way, we right. do know there's seven strengths that matter. Yeah. But it's a rare kid who's got seven. In fact, I've never met a kid who's got seven. I've never met an yeah. adult who's got seven. But the more you've got some of these strengths along the way, they multiply the outcome or they become superpowers. So your kid knows I got this and that's what it is. And these strengths by are really, really hard to find. I'll tell you about Michael. Back in my special ed days, way back when, this kid was so precious. He was six, but always next to me, always a clinger. And I knew something was going on with him. He had apparently a high IQ, but boy, it wasn't ever materializing. And he was never going to open up and tell me what his strengths were. It's a rare kid who's troubled who's going to come up. This is really good. You should put this on the good work board because they have doubts about themselves and they usually cover up their strengths. And if you do find the moment they're really good at it, oh my God, they'll tear it up. So one day I discovered, oh my gosh, this kid is really artistic. Watch out, Michelle. I said to myself, don't you dare say, Michael, you're so artistic because there (laughs) would, would go his talent. He wouldn't believe it. So what I did instead was be quiet and I would um, subtly just smile a little more and point to it, find other parents who could come in and do good work art lessons because I was terrible at it <laughs> until one day he forgot to cover up the fact he was artistic. 
And I asked him quietly, I asked permission, could I put this on the good work board? And I can't believe he allowed it. And there was the moment when I put it on the good work board, he was so quiet. And a couple of kids walked up to the board and said, wow, Michael, you're really artistic. And it was the first time I saw him smile. All of a sudden, it was okay for him to do the art. And here's the point. Parent, when you find something, teacher, when you find that hidden nugget, you got to pass it on. You got to pass it on to grandma. You got to pass it on to the teacher. You got to pass it on to let that kid have that moment because that's that inner nugget. So I'd always tell the next year's teacher and the next year's teacher, Michael's really artistic. Who knows? And then you lose them. They go on to another school and they go on to middle school and high school. I just got to tell you something that happened to me. And it was my one moment of teaching. 25 years later, I got a letter from this kid that said, Dear Mrs. Borba, I've been thinking about you. I still own the letter. It's my most prized possession. I wanted you to know I graduated from high school, which went, oh, my gosh, I couldn't believe it because I never thought he would. He said, I also graduated from college with a full scholarship. I almost fell to the ground. And he said, but I have to tell you why and what I'm doing. It was all because of that, that one one art piece you put on the bulletin board that one day I finally saw myself as a person who could do good. I saw myself as an artist. Mrs. Borba, I want you to know that I'm working as an animator for Disney Studios. Oh, are you kidding <laughs> oh my me, Michelle? God. That was so amazing. So here's my point to you. Not every kid's going to make an animator to Disney Studios, <laughs> but every kid's got a nugget in them that you got to yes. find that nugget and that's that where you start. That's why I'm convinced that confidence is the level of self-understanding. Find it. And then it just starts to blossom. And the other strengths will come in because now the kid goes, I can do that. And they'll be more receptive to him learning that one plus two breathing and all the other things you want to teach him. Oh, I love that. That is, that is an incredible story. And I, I would love if we can to to end on end on this, to end on empathy. Um I'll, I'll say just personally in our, in our, um, in our home, um, we, I mean, we've got four kids and, uh, and they, they've been just really hit hard by the pandemic. And so, um, yeah. one of the things that we've noticed within them is, um, is their empathy has shot way up. And so, um, and that's, I think that's been a, a beautiful help obviously, but can you talk with us to, to close out about empathy and, yeah. and specifically how we can help to develop that in our kids right now who might be feeling really lonely and, and tied off number one our children are hardwired at birth for empathy but unless we cultivate it it lies dormant we find it fascinating that children who have gone through trauma are actually more empathetic because they experience it they know what it feels like don't ever shortchange that child third is There are some incredible ways to boost empathy that are all science-driven. Thrivers, I think that's my my favorite chapter because it's all the stuff that science says you can do. Number one, books. Read books to your kids, but particularly literary fiction because kids will be able to get into the shoes of that character. Many of our children right now have gone through grief. Mm -hmm. That's not trauma, but grief. That's a, a deep sadness, and it slowly dissipates. They may have have somebody close to them pass away or a grandparent has passed away or they're worried to death about you passing away. But if you find a book, you know who the best, the best gold mine is a children's reference librarian. You go to them or you pick up the phone and you say, my child is nine. 
They're enduring grief right now about a grandmother who's passed away. Do you have a book like that? Oh, do I have a book like that? There's books that are glorious. It's called Bibliotherapy. It's healing kids through books. Name any problem. It's there. In fact, every chapter in uh, Thrivers on any character strength, I love books, will give you books that are geared to kids. So keep reading books. That's number one. You want to have a fun way to boost empathy and at the same time have a family memory? Put a sheet over your coffee table or your dining room table and make it into a fort. And every night put, put pillows under there, flashlights, and say it's reading time. Everybody, including the dog and the kids and <laughs> dad and mom, get up there and start read, read, reading. Don't stop reading out loud to your child. But as you're reading, you can say, how would you feel if that happened to you? Mm. What would you need in order to feel better? Feels plus needs is a proven great question. You ask it as you're reading and then later on as uh, as you're priming with grandma. And that is your FaceTiming. FaceTime and Skype or Zoom. Don't text and don't talk because kids need to see facial expressions. They have been social distanced, and those facial expressions are the seeds of empathy. They have to be able to read, oh, grandma looks sad. Well, watch grandma's voice and watch her face, and you'll know when she's tired, and you'll know when it's time to hang up. That's a glorious thing. Talk feelings more naturally in your family. Give your kid permission to say, I'm sad, or I'm angry, or read when Sally gets mad, really, really mad. Yeah, you get mad like that. Make your face look like (laughs) Sally. And then when your children come in saying, mom, we're worried about the neighbor next door. Why are you worried? Because she's lonely, mom. She's all by herself. Oh my gosh, thanks for feeling about her. What would make her feel good? Well, remember when we baked those cookies at Christmas time? Good idea. Let's bake the cookies. And then we'll social distance, mom. We'll leave the cookies on her doorstep. What happens is you are activating empathy. She's, their kids are feeling with that neighbor, but you're also doing the best thing you could possibly do for act. For be, it's called behavior in action compassion in action. You make an empathy into a verb, you're doing. That's the best stress reducer there is. Sidewalk chalk. Go out there and let's decorate the sidewalks with hearts and let your your friends know that you're caring about them. Let's write some fun quotes about kindness all over the streets. What you'll get is your entire community will start doing the same thing. Empathy is a superpower. One final little thing, a lot of our kids right now are scared going back because they haven't been exercising their empathy muscles. The three most highly correlated traits of well-liked kids, kids who thrive have buddies. They don't need a whole bunch. But three well-liked traits, they say hello. So wave when you go to the supermarket. Wave when you're on walks to one another. Let your kids know that waving is a good old thing to do. Eye contact. Don't look down. Look up. Look at the color of your friend's face. You know, eyes, always look at the color of your friend's eyes because you got to look confident. You got to look up and encourage. High five. Good job. Get out the shoots and ladders game and start making one rule when you play any game. You got to encourage the other kid. And what will happen is you're practicing empathy. Your kids will feel a lot more confident when they go back to school and you're teaching them a superpower of thriving. There you that's go. So, that's so helpful, Michelle. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us today and sharing stories. And, um, and just know once you've been on once, 
you have to say yes anytime we ask you to come back on again. So oh, we're going to have I you on at some point. Anytime. Oh my gosh, you guys are wonderful. And I, I think the bottom line is our kids are hurting. Every yeah. kid across the country. Yeah. Well, that's because we put resilience back on the back burner, not realizing it's teachable. Yeah. I'm going to give you dozens of ideas. You're going to choose one that works for your family and you're going to keep doing it and modeling it until your kids get it. Then do the next one and the next one. And that's how we raise up a pandemic generation who's going to be the thriving generation. I love it. I love it. Everybody go buy the book Thrivers right now by Michelle Borba. And Michelle, thank you again so much. And we will talk to you soon. You are so welcome. Thank you. Hey, I was not lying. Dr. Borba is awesome. And we're so grateful that she chose uh, to give us some time today on the show. And so uh, as we go, uh, again, just an encouragement to buy the book Thrivers. Um, some great, great content in there. Uh, what you're going to find in our show notes are uh, a few different resources from Dr. Borba. One being a study guide for the book um, that will help you to be able to work through it. If you want to go through it with a group of uh, other parents around you, be an awesome idea. There's a study guide there for that. It's also a free downloadable about uh, just how to build resilience in the kids and, and, and traits and uh, common traits of resilient kids. And it's just a really, really good resource there. So uh, you can find all that linked in our show notes as well as a link to Dr. Borba's website. Um, so huge thank you to her again. And as we said, we will be having her on uh, again in the future. And, and we're so excited about that. So uh, for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our uh, shows, for Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empowered to Connect podcast, for Mo and Tana Ottinger and everybody at Empowered to Connect. I'm J.D. Wilson. We will see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast. Bye.